G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. Here we go again. Yes, I know. We missed one last week. What the fuck, Troy? Where'd you go? Life life just gets busy, my friends. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. Anyway, here we go. With This is 173 on the episode scale. And this is going to be a continuation with Mr. Steve Lukather. Our fine furry friend he is. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Lukather. So we're going to continue on with that. We're going to left it, leave off, left off, leave off where we were before. Um, uh, so we're going to continue with that. Hopefully you guys doing well. Uh, news, uh, Bruce Borman is heading down under. By Jingos, by Crikey's, you understand what I'm saying when I tell you Mr. Bruce Borman is heading down under with Danielle D'Andrea. If you get a chance to check these guys out, go see them. They are awesome. They're fun. It's hilarious and just amazing on all accounts. It's just, you'll love it. They're not rehearsed at all. They get up and do their thing and you fly by the seat of your pants watching such an incredible vocalist as Danielle D'Andrea, she's seriously one of the best best around, without a doubt. She's amazing. And then you got Bruce Foreman on guitar, who just Bruce kills, man. He just kills. And these two together are amazing. So go check them out. They are landing in Australia, I believe, June 19th. Uh, their first gig, uh, by all accounts, I believe, is Saturday, the 22nd of June in Melbourne at the Fry Fly restaurant the, fl- the fly the fry <laughs> the fry fly restaurant 22nd of june in st kilda it's downstairs 34 inkerman street st kilda like you all needed to know that but anyway go check them out you will uh love them bruce is doing i believe one red guitar show so far but he's trying to tee up a few more he has got the saturday the 22nd of june that afternoon he will come to your house in Melbourne and do a red guitar show if you want to put that together like now grab a bunch of mates grab 10 mates and put together a red guitar show Bruce will come to your house and just put it on he'll just do it that afternoon that's how crazy this man is anyway uh, the 23rd of June he'll be in my hometown Trelgan Trelgan <laughs> it's Aboriginal for Little Priest uh, Go there, check him out. He's doing the red guitar at the Spirit Bar. If you can make that, it'll be an awesome afternoon. I believe it's 2, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. in the afternoon on Sunday, the 22nd of June. Then the 23rd in Melbourne, uh, playing with Daryl McKenzie. And uh, I don't even have that information in front of me. But anyway, you can check it out all on the internet. Email us if you, if you can't find it. But go check them out. And then they're off to Sydney. They're going to be playing a bunch of shows up there. Bruce is playing some bebop gigs with some mates. Yes, he has mates in Australia, and uh, then he's going to be doing a bunch of shows with Danielle as well. So um, go check him out, support him, catch up with Bruce, get a lesson, see what you can do, buy him a beer, give him a big g'day mate from me, and, uh, and have a great time. So other than that, it's, it's, it's all smooth sailing ships somewhere, so uh, let's get into Mr. Lukather. <laughs> that didn't sound right either, did it? <laughs> You know what I mean. Let's continue with Luke, and uh, we will catch up soon. A couple of shout-outs. A big shout-out to Nerfelder. I was thinking about you the other day, mate. I saw you playing on somewhere, and um, just love you playing, Nerf. It was such a pleasure. 
Lyle Workman, my good friend. We've got to catch Well, not really, but we text now and then, and he's a good bloke, and we've got to catch up and have some beers. And Shane Terrio, where the hell are you, Shane? I think you're in Brazil or somewhere. Anyway, sending a shout-out to uh, some Guitar Wank mates, some guests that we've had on, uh, and, uh, yeah, we will all talk to you soon. We have some other big guests coming up. Who? Troy, tell us. No, I don't know who. I'm sure they're big. They'll come on Guitar Wank and be big. Uh, <laughs> anyway, shut up, McCubbin. Let's get on with it. Mr. Lukather, please tell us more session stories from the Lukather storybook. <laughs> all right, guys, have a good one. Be safe. We'll see you all next week. Next week, I promise, we'll, we'll continue putting them up. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. And checking out this amazing music and I was hanging out with some of the rock guys you know I knew them I went to high school with them and, mm-hmm. and played some little gigs with them and would hang out at like the airplane house mm-hmm. jam sessions there yeah. and stuff and uh, getting high with them and shit it was great but I was just chasing like I was just interested in jazz and so no, it's a real you know, it's, sort of it's a real commitment you I can't... sort of left the even I mean, I, I was always aware of what you were doing. I was every, every one of your records. No, really, every one of your records. You don't have to go there, you, man. No, really, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, thank you, but I mean, I know, and I loved it, and I listened to no, it. No, I am curious because but I. But have... I just it just like it, it didn't like I didn't want to play it. I just wanted to love it, man. You know, Jay Graydon's another friend of mine, man. God, he, like the. I mean, the, the brilliance of that is just, like, beyond. Well, but Jay, Jay really time, worked hard at it. Jay you know, isn't the kind of guy you go see at the club. You know right. I mean? Jay, Jay's were, like, epic compositions. Right. Oh, that yeah. That he would spend God knows how many hours meticulously soloing each double to make sure there wasn't a rub. You know what I mean? Right. This cat redefined, like, you know, producing a record. I mean, you know, and he's one of my very best friends. He, my mentor. He talked... He taught me, turned so me on I was so much really work. Really well aware of it. I just was kind of more into swinging and. But okay, who, okay, in that place. but who was the first guitar player that? Well, the first guitar players that really blew me away were Wes, Kenny Burrell, Barney Kessel, Django Reinhardt. Enough said. You know, I know exactly that's what you're really what sort of. But even with them, I was still more. Enamored musically with like the piano players and the horn players in jazz, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. All the guitar players are copying saxophone players. Yeah, and so, and so, you know, and it's kind of like this story I tell with my show is about what it's like just to chase sound and what it's like to live a life, you know, in pursuit of it. In pursuit of the last note, you know, it's yeah. a funny thing about jazz. Who was was telling me about this? I mean, you really when you when you commit yourself to jazz, it's a whole other thing. You're that's it. It's like learning classical guitar. Uh-huh. I mean, it's to really be that guy or that girl. Um, that's a whole other commitment. It's a whole other way to play. It's a whole other other way to sit, and posture yourself, whether physically and emotionally. Jazz, classical, rock and roll. Now there are. Little gray areas. There are intersections, that, you know, but yeah. I know I like little gray areas, but I mean, I never really felt like I, this whole labeling of things always bothered me. I like jazz. I love jazz. I love rock and roll. I love 
fun. I love you know anybody. I love I love to watch a, a burning accordion player, man. Whatever. Amen. Virtuosity in any style of music stops me in my tracks. And virtuosity is a broad stroke. I mean, it's not all technique. It's right. virtuosity. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean that in all the most positive ways. Yeah. Having all of it. Yeah. Totally agree, man. Chops and restraint, I always felt, I, taste, I mean, I have to say, I even you know. hate that I have to say jazz to explain it because, like, what I do is far from what you would think of when I say jazz. I mean, if you well, were to when hear I think me, of jazz, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm believing, I'm not talking about pop jazz. I'm talking no, about legitimate. I mean, jazz. I, I know, but you I know, know still, you, you, you know, I mean, just like if I say rock to you. Where on the well, spectrum. I would say to you, what year? Yeah, right, right. Those kinds of things. So, I mean, I always There's felt a big difference between 1968 and 2019 as far as rock music. <laughs> and there's a big difference in jazz you know. from 1920 to 1940 to 1960 right. to 1980. And, and yet, everybody who plays it kind of does it their own way, hopefully. Well, and, that's the, and, you know, genres are like, they were meant, they were created by people who sell music, not by people who create music. Yeah, where it's all of our jobs just to be ourselves, right? And just to—I mean, I know that there's a lot of rock and a lot of blues and a lot of classical and a lot of particularly well, nobody, western no, swing. Know, there's in very my few playing. cats that could say that they do it all, right? But I mean, it's in my playing. You know what I mean? I know that when I play, there are these elements, these things that are part of me that come out mm -hmm. in the music, and you know, and the whole idea is to just be free enough to be in the moment. And create and serve the song and the music I'm playing. You know, you got to do it because you love it, man. Yeah, amen. I mean, Dude. people do anything. In other words, when I started playing music, it was because I wanted to do what the Beatles did. I wanted to make a sound. I wanted to figure out how to make that sound. Particularly George Harrison. That solo when I saw her standing there, I burned it out. <laughs> Something about it just went deep in there, man. Yeah, and I said I have to do that. I, want, I don't know what that is, but I I want these guys. Like it was like to people now, the Beatles seem rather tame. You know, it's like back then it was like aliens landing in the backyard. Yeah, it was right. a it was uh -huh. a cultural event. It wasn't just a musical. Exactly. Event, you know? How how is it playing being on stage? It just looks like the funnest thing it being is. with Ringo and doing that all star thing. It's, I mean, it's how fucking cool is that, man? It, it's beyond cool. I mean, I I don't take it for granted at all yeah. um, the fact that I've been doing it for seven years and now again we're keeping going and you, they're swapping people in and out like yeah, I, yeah they, I've, I've stayed for the last me and Greg Raleigh have stayed yeah uh, Colin Hay and Hamish Stewart are in now we had Fucking Graham Goulden last year from 10CC which was great yeah we had Todd Rundgren and uh, Richard Page from Mr. Mr. before that wow which is, you know, so I've been a part of all these amazing musicians and traveled around Oh, that's and, so great and he's cool. the best I mean you know we've become really good friends I, mean, yeah. I, I, I really adore the cat I mean he's just every, every bit as cool and funny as you could ever imagine him to be and also so wise and talented and soulful I yeah. mean you know he really is I can't say enough yeah. and it's a great honor to be there yeah I mean it's it's a vacation gig for me this isn't work I mean you treat just like kings man yeah travel best there is you know Spoils us. Yeah, I adore. I love everybody in the organization: the band, crew, management, everything, God. agents. Everybody's just killer. 
It's a joy to go out with, you know? Yeah. And I love playing with my guys, too, but we've known each other since we were 15. Yeah. And they weren't in the Beatles, so right. fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what about, does, does Luca, they get, um, do you get hung up we're about... We're going third person, third person now. Right? This, do you get hung up about gear in that nowadays, or are you no. pretty much set? You, you know no. where you're at. You know, the days of, you know, worrying about that and obsessing on it yeah. and got to have all of it, you know. Not, I mean, like, I get I get sent some interesting pedals now and then. I'm just a pedal guy. Right, yeah. On the floor. I mean, yeah. I love my Bradshaw shit. I just talked to Bob the other day. Yeah. Fact, dear friend of mine. How's he doing? Cause he's, he's, do, he's doing fine. Okay, good. He had a little operation. Yeah, yeah. We'll just leave that. He's fine. He's going to yep. be great. Great. We were all worried, of course. Yeah. You know, I hadn't talked to him for a while, to be yep. honest with you. You know, and I heard what happened. I'm like, damn, are you serious? Wow. And so I had a great chat with him. It was lovely. I'm, you know, I still love it. So I keep his stuff. I use some of it. But, you know, on these travel dates and stuff like that, sometimes it's just a couple pedals in a bag and I'm off. I'm, I just joined a band with Billy Gibbons. We're going to do some shows next year. Oh, great. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And uh, with Katie Aronoff and Fabrizio Grossi. And, you I know, love I, Katie, I get to, you know, It's a really quirky little band. Each guy does like 20 minutes at the end. We get to come out and jam ZZ's songs with, with Billy and, and Hank, who's one of the greatest human beings I've ever known. Yeah. As well as being one of my favorite. Just his touch, man. His little thing. And he, he gets such a fat tone out of those little sevens, man. Sevens? Yeah. Is he still using the coin? Was he using the coin? Uh, you know what, man? Billy Gibbons is one of these cats, man. That I don't. You don't know if he's taking the piss out of you or not. I remember once I had a solo band out on the road, and we were in Europe, and we had the honor of opening up for ZZ on a couple of dates. And I had just got to know Billy a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? You know, I'm one of my all-time favorites, you know, everybody. Who doesn't love Billy Gibbons? Right, yeah. You have to take him out back and shoot him. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, he's just the hippest thing, hippest guy ever. The only other guy that was as hip was Miles Davis. Right. You know what I mean? yeah. Those are two of the, like, different reasons why. But, yeah. But, you know, you get in a room with Billy, and this is his magic, you know what I mean? But he is a thing, man. He's just... I don't know where I was going with that again. I've got that well, old the man. Sevens had a oh yeah, the Sevens. The well, I, I didn't realize that was, but when what when, when I was talking about my band opening, yeah, when we rolled up in my in my bus, there's Billy standing in his pajamas, <laughs> waiting there to greet us. I'm like, oh, this fucking Kevin's man, this is insane. <laughs> this is right. If I, if I was filming this, he wouldn't believe it. So I get off. I'm like, hey, Billy, what's up? Because I just want to say hi. And then he, and, and you know we were getting there. They're set up the gear. You know we were gonna do a little sound check, and but we had a moment. We we're sitting around on this thing, and I'm playing with Steve Weingart was in my band at the time, and he studied with Zal and all, and he's just like another one of those alien, perfect, you know, just any style, anything, can do anything, read anything, play anything. One of the funniest guys ever, as well. And his wife was playing bass. The band. She's also a great player, sweetheart of a woman, and. He, we were out there, and, he, and I had an acoustic guitar. We were fucking around. He goes, and Billy makes some crack. He goes, well, you know, if you really want me to show you what the real blues five chord is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And we're like, you know, Billy's a guy who would know any inside hip shit there would be about the blues. That's for sure. Right. So we lean in, like, you know, waiting for the wisdom of the master. And he, and he goes... The key to the blues is the five chord is a major seventh. <laughs> Start cracking up. Steve Weingart almost, you know, spit take. He's like, what? He's one of those perfect pitch guys, you know, yeah. all this stuff. Five chord, he goes, no, let me show you. 
and he gets the guitar and he, and he starts playing uh, a little bit. He goes to the five chord and he sort of fluffs a major seven. <laughs> like it kind of it's it's there, but it's not. Right. He goes, see, it's real subtle. And like <laughs> Weingart's going, bullshit. He starts screaming, this is bullshit. This is not true. I'm not <laughs> buying this. And and, and he starting he's laughing uncontrollably. And Billy's keeping a total straight face. But he's like, no, man, it's major seven. <laughs> starts playing again. And then I grab the guitar and I play the obvious. Come on, Billy. There's the like one four, then go to the five, big root position, one four. Go on. <laughs> one three five seven. A cheese ball fucking voice. And I go, there's no way in hell you're selling me this. You know what I mean? And he was totally taking the piss out of us. And it was a great moment. He's such a great, you know, the, the delivery. He's an Academy Award. I love it. In his pajamas. <laughs> and looking cooler than anybody you've ever seen. So, so Beautiful I, soul. I love Billy Gibbons. I, I don't understand. Gibbons. Are you using... I know this is a, a kind of a bullshit topic in its own way, but are you using eights, nines, tens? No, I use nines. Man. Nines. I was in a tour bus accident about four years ago. Oh, wow. Tore this muscle from the tip of my shoulder right here to the to my elbow. Yeah. Slammed on the brakes. You know, some smart car pulled in front of the bus, and I went flying. <clears throat> Fuck me up. Wow. They wanted to operate, and they could have lost my left hand. You know? Fuck. So consequently, I mean, it was f agony. I mean, fuck me up for a while. Yeah, yeah. I thought, okay, here we go. Am I ever going to play? I can play, okay, but I've just had to kind of retrain it and, you know, take my foot off the gas. You know? yeah. Consequently, I'm making better music. But it was a... I had to redirect. I had to re learn how to figure it out and, and, and not worry about playing, you know, flashy shit. I mean, I, I got some chops left, but... Not by today's standards, but um, I can play, but it's, yeah, I, I'm being a little bit more uh, economic yeah. in my playing, which yeah. is actually, like I said, it's making for better music, especially when you play a bigger place where that doesn't mean anything. Like, if you're at the back of a big hall and you're playing 64th notes, it just sounds like... <laughs> in a club, it'll knock your dick in the dirt. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's certain music that is conducive to a club Certain music. That's why when Dave Gilmore gets up and they play the one minor chord, and he plays the first. Yeah. He just plays the f bends the five. You're standing on your feet. Yeah. Because yeah. it bounces off the back wall, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. In arena. Yeah. That's that works. Yeah. So you have to learn how to play the room. Uh, but that, uh, that being said, I, there's certainly a lot of fun to do all those kind of gigs. Yeah. I like to do them all. Yeah. For different reasons. Yeah. I still love to play, man. I still love to do it just because I love to play. That's a shit. You know what I mean? Man. I mean, I'd still, if I wasn't making any money doing this, you know, I'd still do it. Hey, man, if, you know, the funny thing is, if they told me I was dying tomorrow, I'd still go out in my shed and play all day today. Yeah. Well, there you go. I would. Because, you, well, that's what I said. The, the desire to learn more is not trying to keep up with anybody. It's just trying to stimulate myself and learn something for me because yeah. I get off on it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like it's like. I'm not trying to win the race. I don't know if you knew Jimmy Weibel. Did you ever know Jimmy? He was my teacher. Okay, well, he used to. How sit did you know? That's so weird that you said that. Well, he was I my teacher when I was 14. I hung with Jimmy a lot. He was. And, I got a funny Jimmy. For the yeah, and, but he used to say like, "What's inside the box?" That was what he would always say to me. He'd look at the look at the guitar, kind of like hold it up. And go, What's inside the? He had that look on his face. You know, it's like. Well, you were probably a great student. So. Well, I know I I was much later in life. This is when I was. Oh, like, when you were playing. Okay. I was like fifty. Oh, okay. 
And so I, I, mean, I knew 14, him. I knew so him I mean, that last, been, I knew him his last like ten years. Well, he actually taught, I knew him all before that a lot. He was an but. incredibly patient man. He was like teaching me how to read and shit like because uh-huh. I'd never been playing. I had to go back and learn how to do that yeah. after playing for seven years. Uh-huh. You know, I was a kid, impatient kid. How do I learn how to do this fast? Right. You know, the, like I said, the heavy lifting in the L and M area. Yeah. That's that. The unpleasant stuff that's hard and tedious and not fun. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Is the reading and the, and the te- you know the harmony the theory which is so fucking important. Me learning harmony theory was the most important helpful thing that I've ever done to my playing, ever. Yeah. Because it just knew knowing, especially when you're playing, finding little parts on a record, to know that that B will work through all these changes, even the weird odd change there. That that's still that's going to be that's going to be the part where everybody points and goes, that's a great part. Because that wasn't the expected note. But if you didn't know theory, you wouldn't know that. If you didn't right. know army and theory, you wouldn't know that that was the common tone through all that. Exactly. And I was good at finding those little parts that worked on these little simple pop songs that would help the groove and, and, and be a cute little part, but it wouldn't take your ear off the lead vocal. I, you know, so coming up with these little hooky parts that were on songs was something that I got real good at, you know, re- right away. You know, just somebody gives you B minor, G, A, you know, what do you play? Right. Uh, an example I can give you, I use, like, say, the song I Keep Forgetting by Michael McDonald, right? Big hit record. That's like take two on a chart that just said B minor, you know, da, 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 E minor, A, B. It's probably not the right key. B, B minor, E minor, A? Well, no, it's just like B minor, B minor, A, G, oh. E minor, A, right. B minor. Uh, okay, that's all that was on there. Just whole, you know, and, and Michael was playing a piano part. And I came up with the muted part right away. I just heard that. Da, 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 da. I, and everybody's going, getting all excited about Lewis Johnson started playing a funky bass thing. And then Greg Fillingaines had a clavinet with a wang bar on it. <laughs> it actually had a vibrato, like, you know, a clavinet, honer clavinet, with a fucking, you know, a bender thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you hit the left hand, it was a metal thing that came out of it, and it would bend the notes. And so, and, you know, and there's Fillingaines playing all this crazy Stevie Wonder shit that he knew really well, and we just played that take two as the record. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was nothing on the paper but a few chord charts, chord, chord symbols. And that's the sort of stuff that we, when you get into a room, Jeff would start playing a, a groove. Michael's just playing. He goes, this is how the song goes on a Fender Rhodes, you know. And he starts singing it, and Jeff starts playing that groove. And then everybody's looking at their parts. And gradually, one by one, everybody comes in with a part that's cool. Yeah. That's usually what the day-to-day job was. You know, okay, what are you going to play? And then people get excited. if They go, like, that's a great idea. A little too much, a little less of that. That's a great idea. Hold that off to the second thing, you know. Yeah. There would be that sort of arrangement on the spot going on like there, but everybody right. had to throw their ideas on the table real fast. Yeah, right. This is what I got. You like yeah. it? Yeah. And usually your first instinct is what's, especially with solos and stuff, you know, especially back in the days when they didn't have endless amount of tracks. Right. It's like we've got two tracks. And that's it. <laughs> so one of them, you can go back, you can play a track, and you can do it again, choose between the two, uh, or what, or punch in, or whatever. So you didn't have a lot of options. You had to do it real fast. Yeah. Damn, man. It's, now you get endless takes, yeah. and you can go in and, like, you know, you can take, you know. And it, it that it probably it makes things worse because you, you don't get to commit as much. Like, you had to commit back then. That was all... You didn't have... Well, even before that, what, the Beatles' first album was made in a day or a day and a half? You know what I mean? There was live vocals, everything. 
Do we get that? Yeah. Okay, that's the record. That's yeah. it. You've lost that love and feeling. Yeah. Did you get that? That's the record. It's on the radio on Monday. You know what I mean? The skills that one has to have to have that many musicians and vocalists and mixing and everything all going on at once. I mean, you can Google up Frank Sinatra singing that when I was 17. Great fucking song. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, to show him singing, the vo that's the record, man. Yeah. At the end of it, that's what there was on the radio, and you can right. see it yeah. in black and white at Capitol Studios. Him smoking a cigarette with a cocktail. <laughs> when I was 17, yeah. it was a very good year. <laughs> Which is a classic song, you oh, know. Man. But you see the fucking Nelson Riddle chart, you know. It was beautiful. It's just Amazing. everybody should watch that. It's yeah. So, Frank, I mean, see, I love all that stuff, you know. We we had Frank DeVito on recently. You know uh, Frank DeVito, no. the drummer. He used to play with Frank Sinatra, uh -huh. so he was a little Italian guy. It was like having one of the oh, mafioso must have been guys. Here. He must have had I some had stories with him this morning, man. Really? And, and, and he had to buy he had to buy breakfast because he just got a check. He got it like a. $2,500, $3,000 check for Surfing USA. Just that alone, you know, the distribution fund from the union. Oh, you mean the, uh, what do you call it? The record, uh, the, the, the rights, intellectual property. Yeah, yeah, property yeah, 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 no, I, that's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, well, he was, he's on Surfing USA and he got a check for like Do you play drums on that? Yeah. He's, on, he's the drummer on Surfing USA. Oh, I always thought that was Hal. It was, he was subbed for Hal on a lot of dates. So, like, he did Last Train for Clarksville. And, really? And, and, I yeah, thought that was Jimmy Gordon. No, that was, that was Frank. I don't even know Frank DeVito more, man. Frank DeVito. That's my dumbass. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, but I had breakfast. I know Louis Shelton played the guitar part yeah, on yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like. I saw Louis not too long ago in, in Europe. You know, was he in Australia, oh, right? right? He came out to see me in Sydney. Where, where is wow. he in Australia? Is he in Sydney? He, outside of it, but that's where he drove in to see me in Sydney. Yeah? I'm other buddy, Johnny Ferris. Yeah. He lives, he lives yeah. in Sydney. Him and Tim Ferris. Yeah, yeah. Tim Ferris. Yeah. Love those guys. All of them. All the guys that have been killer. Yeah. Is there is anyone that you, um, I mean, you talked about uh, the, the what? Who's the cartoon guy that you? Uh, what's his name? You guys are talking about uh, the you, TV show. Oh, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, family. You talked about Seth, but is there any other musician you can think of that man? I'd fucking love to sit down then with them and play with them. Is there? A, I mean, there's, there's all been kinds so of musicians many, you can sit down and think about that. I mean. I mean I have gotten a chance to work with so many heroes, but at the same time. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's a hard question, man. It depends, well, on, it depends got, on what style of music it is. You got to play with Clapton a bunch? Yeah, not a bunch. But how's that playing, standing on stage with Clapton? I mean, do you feel. I never played on stage with him, I played in the studio with him. Oh, I, I was very intimidated. I mean, because, I mean, because there wasn't really much for me to play. You right. know, I just wanted to be there. Yeah. Be in the room, you know. And he was great, you know. I actually turned him onto a Bradshaw rig, and he ended up buying one. Oh wow! And uh, he was very, very nice to me. But at the same time, I was a little bit, you know, we jammed a little bit. We did play a little bit of blues just to kind of fuck around a little bit. Yeah. But I was so intimidated, I didn't really want to play very much because I didn't want it to appear that yeah. I would be trying to upstage the master. You know what I mean? And the nervous thing that would be to try to impress the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to do that, so yeah. I just kind of. Played, you know, okay, it was simple, but you know, I didn't want to like make it a competitive thing, you know. What, if, what too about much it? respect for the man, and besides, he'd blow me away anyway. But what, what about Harrison George? I did get a chance to play with George a couple times. How was with being in front of him and hanging out with him and stuff like that? Did you get to see, feel the magic, like 
Was it just like, fuck, man? Yeah, well, I, you know, it, there were some surreal moments yeah. with him. I, I mean, I actually got, we hung out a whole bunch for a while there. Like, I would say in the early 90s, like 92, from 92 to 95, we saw a lot of each other. When he was in town, he would call me. He played me free as a bird before it came out. Wow. And, uh, you know, he he took a little shine to me for whatever reason. Yeah, I entered, I took his son Danny to meet Slash because at the time, Danny was like 12, 13, yeah. wanted to meet Guns N' Roses. We were happening, the, and Slash is a dear friend. I I adore the kid. We've been friends forever since the eighties. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, I did that. I hooked it up. So I took you know George like this. Hey, my. <laughs> I wish I could keep. I wish I had phone messages. Oh man. I have some incredible phone messages that were left for me. By incredible people. Yeah. You know, that they're gone. They yeah. just went into magnetic heaven or yeah. hell or wherever it goes. But no, he was magical, man. No, I got a chance to, t- he invited me out for dinner once with Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynn <laughs> and Jim Keltner. And we all ended up at Jeff's house and we were sitting around fucking around on guitars. And it was like Bob was on bass. George was playing electric guitar. I was playing acoustic guitar. Jeff Lynn was playing keyboards. And Keltner was around drums or a drum thing Fuck and it, when we started playing then like when you play start playing I want to tell you yeah by George's song off Revolver right and he starts to, and everybody starts kind of fucking around with it you know because I figured well I know he knows this you yep. know okay what are we going to do here now Bob had the bass turned down like the tone control he was just kind of playing along it was like crack I'm looking around the room going if my high school friends could see me now you know after having a great dinner and a great hang, it was great. And then we started, anyway, we're playing, I want to tell you, when it gets to the to the B section, where it's the flat nine thing, you know, the E flat nine, dan, 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 dan. I was just playing, you know, pedaling the E and playing F, E, F, E, is the piano part. On the guitar. George is like, stop. He goes, you're playing the piano? How do you play the piano part on that? I'm like, I'm just playing a part. Dan, dan, dan. He goes, I, but I wouldn't have never thought to play that. It was George Martin after the song yeah. to make it beatly weird, you know? Oh, he wow. He explained it to me. It's like he'd never heard a guitar player play the piano part on the guitar. Right. And I was going, okay, this is not really happening right now. Like George Harrison is like going, how did you do that on his own song? Right. You know, it was a surreal moment. Oh, There's so many surreal moments that night. It was, it was classic, man. That's I, an God, amazing you know, it, you know, he was so, that was my first hero. You know, I used to, you know, I wanted to have, wanted to look like him. I wanted to be like him. He yeah. really could, it was my first fixation with the Beatles, you know. Yeah. I just, yeah. everything about George was the coolest, you know. Anybody that could make that sound was the coolest. And it's funny because a lot of people would walk up to him and say, I love your solo on this or that. He goes, no, that was Paul. <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was John. You know, and I knew what was him, you know. It's like, right. you know, so like I, I didn't want to like, Tell him be lame and say something like that. Where you, please, please help me remove my foot from my mouth. <laughs> and Ringo shares the stories. Like he'll go back and you know relive he, it if if he feels like it. Yeah, you know, I would never. You know, yeah, because it was eight years of his life, and he's gonna be seventy nine. Wow, it's and, and, that's you know, nothing. And, and, granted, probably the most important eight years of any human being's life of being in the Beatles. You know yeah. what I mean? All of that to happen in just eight years is staggering. It is. From, you know, Love Me Do to Abbey Road, you know. Talk about a growth spurt. 
in terms of writing, production, growth as we think minimum players, writers. I mean, it just it's, it's, it's like a it's like a fucking century. It really well, they, is. They, you know, it's our classical music, really. Yeah. In the sense of how it affected the planet and what it did to a whole genre of music, and yeah. it, it's still the rule book that we go back to. Yeah. When somebody says, "Give me something a little beatly." No matter what instrument you play, you know what that is. If you play the drums, you give that you know, the day in the life, you immediately go there. If it's a guitar, you do some, oh, let's double it and make it a little bit out of tune and give it that little, you know, yeah. that wang to it, you know, or, you know, and bass, you know exactly, we all melodic, higher up on the neck. The macar- you, know, you know, it's, we still refer to it. Yeah. yeah. It's still the gold standard. Yeah. What was really amazing is when when I got to do the Beatles 50th anniversary TV show, 50th anniversary of Ed Sullivan show, which was such a great honor, was that we got, that Don was who was the MD on the gig. He got a hold of the eight tracks of uh, Abbey Road, wow. and he had them up at Capitol. We were there. He goes, "Come dig this." And he puts up a fader, and there's George Harrison singing something. With the strings being recorded at the same time, he's seeing the lead vocal playing acoustic guitar with the strings live, and you can hear the bleed through in his phones. <laughs> and you can hear that. It, uh, to tell you how what that emotional feeling was, it was like, oh my God. It's uh, like I'm sitting in the vocal booth, the cat, man. And he did the, here's Ringo's stereo drums. And there's no click. There's, you know, Fuck anybody that said bags on Ringo. How many drummers are there that you could just play the drum part and you know what song it is? Yeah, right. Ringo's that cat. That's he was guy. the guy that made drums musical to me, to my ear, my yeah. generation. But, I mean, then there's Paul's bass, and there's the vocals, there's effects printed on whatever they wanted on there. They committed. You talk about commitment. We don't have an extra track for that. How much echo do you want? Or how much? <laughs> we got to over EQ this when we make the bounce so we don't lose all the top end when it gets bounced again. Because that's how they were doing all this shit. I mean, when I worked with McCartney, I got the chance to not only sit in a room with him, but with George Martin and Jeff Emmerich. And for two weeks and every day when we were taking a break for lunch, I'd just pick their brains and ask every stupid Beatle geek question there was. <laughs> and they actually put up with me. Yeah. Because when we were when we were going over there, Jeff Picard and I, to work with Paul after the thriller sessions, we Paul took a shine to us and, and invited me and Jeff to work with him over in London on a movie he was doing. <clears throat> and just to be able to, and we were told, whatever you do, don't start in with the Beatles with him. And we're going like, what? You're going to tell us that we're going to go work with Paul McCartney and we can't <laughs> talk about the Beatles or mention it at all. And, and I'm looking at Jeff going, how is that going to be possible? So we get there. Because I remember when we did the session with, you know, we got the take of The Girl Is Mine. Paul and Linda came out and, you know, hung out. Jeff sparked one up or whatever. And yep. Paul goes, oh, smell musicians. <laughs> it was really classic. And him and Linda came out. We were all sitting around. Well, the madness of what was going on with all the press and all the shit with Michael and what was going on in the control room with Quincy. He came out and hung with us after we got the track. Wow. And it was just him and us sitting in the, in the studio in the room with nobody around, nothing, nobody were listening to it. And Paige goes over and plays the chord, the ending chord of Day in the Life on the grand piano. Plays it for Paul. He goes, he goes oh, that's pretty good. He goes, it was the right, perfect voicing. And everything. Paul goes, oh, you played that well. well. When we did it on the record, it was... 
all four of us played a note at the same time on the count of four. And they recorded it with a compressor and turned it all the way up. And that's why it's sustained for so We're listening to this, you know, going, this is fantastic. So after that, we're all excited. We get the call to go and work with Paul. We're not allowed to talk about the Beatles. Are you <laughs> kidding me? It's like putting a, you know, a 500-pound person in a in a Krispy Kreme donut shop right out of the oven going, you can't have any of them donuts. Yeah. You can hang in here, you, you can't, can't eat them. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was that oh, same kind man. of, so, so we're there, we're, you know, you know, we have to wear these uh, crazy outfits and stuff like that. And Linda was there. God, what a nice woman. God bless her, man. She was so nice to me. I, share, I was sharing a, a, what do you call it, a riser with her. Yeah. She had a Mellotron and yeah. she was just there. And so me and her had a lot of time. It was a movie, so you had to sit around waiting. We were plugged in and stuff, and Paul was obviously involved in the direction of all that. So, so I had a lot of time to sit and talk. So after a couple of days, you know, we started, you know, getting friendly and, and, and all that stuff. And I, you know, and she goes, said something about it. I said, so then, yeah, it's, well, you know, I know we're not allowed to talk about the Beatles. She goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, we were told, like, you know, by the management and everything that we're not supposed to bring up anything about the Beatles because it would upset Paul. Right. She goes, upset him. She goes, he loves to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I'm going, well, I don't want to get into it. She goes, she, and I go, really? Uh, it, <laughs> she was so cool. And I think at that point, there was a lull, and I broke into the please, please me. Dun, 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 dun. And Jeff started playing like this. And then he started, Paul sat down at the piano and he, because we were doing a song where he was playing piano, and he started singing it. Oh, no way. And I jumped in and started singing the other part, you know, and it, it, it was a surreal moment, you know wow. what I mean? And everybody in the whole place, the entire crew, stopped. And because this was 1982, it was only a couple of years after John had tragically passed, and yeah. Beatles, you know. And he, he hadn't been touring or anything at that point, really. Right. Um, so he got into that. He starts singing it, and then then he starts. To, oh, well, me and the lads, you know. And Bob, he starts talking about all this stuff. So we break for lunch, and then it's on. And then I'm like, I'm sitting with them because he invited me and Jeff to have lunch with him and George and, and Jeff every day. Yeah, so it was, it was wow. a hang every day. Oh my god. And and so I go in there and I go, I go. That was a lot of fun. He goes, I hope I'm sad. I'm sorry. I didn't mean him. I'm sad. They kind of told us not. To, you know. He goes, What are you talking about? And Linda's like, oh, somebody told him that, that these guys aren't allowed to talk about the Beatles. He goes, that's crazy. He goes, that's the best parts of my life. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I'm not quoting him. Uh, but then it was on. Then I said, well, is it cool to ask a couple of questions? Sure. And then it was like, what kind of mic did you use? Like, How did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And I just went mad for it. Yeah. And I'm the region. What made you think of this? And, and you know what? Couldn't have been more gracious. Wow. Talking about the parts and how they did goofy shit. You know, yeah. it was such a... It was like a wet dream for a Beatles fan like me. You know? Yeah. And the nicest, most wonderful people I've ever had the honor of working with. That's so all cool. I can tell you, man. That's to this day, so you know, cool. I'm a fan. I'll, I'll always be a fan. Do you have a favorite uh, George Harrison guitar solo? I saw her standing there was the one that was the on switch to my life. Yeah. You know? But everything he ever did was so tasty and so perfect. Yeah. You know, there's an alternate solo on something. Really? Well, when we were dicking around with the parts, Don Was goes, check this out. Here's the lost solo. And he put, and he put, it, was, it, was a, it was a sweet little solo. Yeah. 
obviously, you know, the first couple of takes or something like that, it wasn't the perfected one, which was a full live, you know, top to bottom take. You yeah. Know? It wasn't like the old punch in every yeah, right. note, you know. But at the same time, it was just hearing something that's so different with the same touch of something that's so tattooed in your right, brain. It's, it's, wow. it's like if you could hear an alternate Charlie Parker solo that no one's ever heard. Right. They said, you know what? You've heard this, you've heard this alternate, but I have this other one. <laughs> it was like that. It'd be yeah. like, I got to hear something that like only a handful of people have ever heard. And wow. There was no copies allowed to be made. And all yeah. shit. Now, at this point, who knows? You know, I don't know how these people get a hold of what, but now, like, what the they stems, get a hold of. The stems are available on a lot of those records. Well, I'll tell you how some of that happened. Um, there was a guy which who was getting licensing the real masters to and getting stems made so for teaching uh, so we they licensed one of our records rosanna i think it was and, yep. they, and they were able to get all the isolated takes that's where all that came uh, out on that so they got a lot of they got richie blackmore from smoke on the water or highway star somewhere you can isolate his and they didn't realize he had a little echoplex on that when you just hear his guitar those great solos you yeah. know <laughs> Richie Blackmore, there's another guy. Wow. Right. There's so many great guitar players. It's sickening, man. Yeah, yeah. I have no, you know, I just feel like my penis is very small when I talk <laughs> about all this. You know? It's just such greatness, you know. I love to be around greatness, and it's neat to be inspired about it and to be in a room full of people. You just go, like, there's Aretha Franklin that's right where you are, singing live, playing piano. And Fuck. That can be very distracting when you're trying to concentrate on the music to have that greatness in the phones. And you look up and you realize that the take is her lead vocal. So if I fuck this up, I fucked up the take. <laughs> but she's so good, it's hard not to pay attention to that. Yeah, right. Look up from your chart for one second, like, you know, what bar are we on? Now? Jesus. <laughs> like, wow, man. You yeah. know, I've, I've had all these great moments. I mean, I'm not saying this to be a braggart in any way. No, I love that. It's I'm, just more like yeah, we I've had it. these experiences that even I can't believe I've had these experiences. I look back on it like almost like it happened to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Because like, there's been like two or three lifetimes in one lifetime for me. Man, I, of, I got to ask you, did you, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, I'm sure you've, you know about it, the Michael Jackson thing. How do you look back on all that now? Because I know a lot of people struggle with that music. I feel oh, like I, I can I, separate No, it. okay, for, it depends on which documentary you meant. Um, I haven't seen the Michael Jackson, you know, all the nasty shit, you know. Yeah. I never saw him do anything weird. I mean, well, yeah, I saw him do a couple of weird things, but I mean, I never saw anything inappropriate per se, you know. Right. I mean? But, you know, it's funny about all these, you know, Spike Lee does a, a whole documentary on Thriller, Quincy Jones does a whole documentary, or all these people that we've worked with, and like everybody gets interviewed but us, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've right. always been the red-headed stepchild of rock, rock and roll, you know? I mean, it's like, also killed was. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it was all kind of crazy. It's always been that way with us. We just kind of like, really? It's, we had a lot to do with those records, you know? Like, maybe... That's, it was like we that's felt gonna be annoying as fuck. It's like ah, uh, dude. It's, it's happened so many times. It's laughable now. Right. We laugh about it now. Well, man. I mean, I know our guitar. Not, listen, I'm not looking for a you know. No, but a, a free creamsicle. You know, I've had a great <laughs> career. I don't need anybody to tug my dick. You know, but you know, it's just ironic to us that right. like well, you know, everybody but us. But isn't that I mean the, like every everybody but us? Right. Like but, thanking the guy that got you donuts and shit like that and we're like <laughs> nothing? You know what I mean? 
<laughs> you know, like, right here, hey, you, know? you know. Make sure you leave these guys out. It's a running joke throughout yeah, history. Right. Let's leave them out. Well, it's even when, you know, it's just crazy shit. You yeah. Know? It, it, it's, it's, the slights have been many and yeah. often. Yeah, yeah. And we, we just laugh at it. We just go, you know what, we're still here. I still get to write musician on my tax returns, you know. I, I you know, things could be worse. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, if I, my very worst day, is probably, you know, better than a lot of people on this planet. So, I have to remember that. Sometimes we all get caught up in our worlds, like oh, only my world is the most important thing. It's a big world, man. Yeah, yeah. The first world problems are kind of bullshit. Yeah, man. I have first world problems, so I'm full <laughs> of shit. You know, uh, I mean, you know, emotional problems are the same for anybody anywhere, but yeah. To bitch about stupid things like some people do. I love to see these young people that are famous for nothing. You know yeah. what I mean? They're just fame whores, you know what I mean? The arrogance of it and the short-sightedness of it, you know, and, and the immaturity of it. And you just kind of go, what are these motherfuckers going to be doing in five years? Yeah, know? right. When this, like, you know, you see, I love this. Remember, the, what was it, the Jersey Shore? Or something? Oh, the, yeah. And I don't watch these shows, but of course it's hard to miss some of them. But now you see these guys, it's like Cribs 10 years later. I'd love to see that. MTV Cribs, they show all these guys that have one hit record living like five Lamborghinis in a house <laughs> on the beach. Now, any of us really in the business look at that shit and go, the first thing out of your mouth is like, the guy rented all this shit for the day. <laughs> There's no way this guy, I could do the numbers. I know what they are. Yeah. I don't care who you are, the numbers, percentages of, okay, a million records pays you this amount of money, yeah. and these venues only pay this amount of money, even right. if you sell them out. Yeah. I know this. Right. So when I see some guy that's had one or two hit records living in a life of opulence that uh, that would embarrass the Rothschilds, um, and it's just some <laughs> dumb cat that can barely speak with one tooth, you know, I'm going, um, you know, this is a bullshit story. Yeah. And this is sending a bad message to kids. Yeah. If I have one hit record, I can live like that for the rest of my life. And that's a lie. It's a lie. You know, I mean, I knew guys in the 80s there in like metal bands and stuff like that. They get signed, they have a platinum record, and they get a dump truck full of money for a year. So they go out and buy a mansion and a Lamborghini, and you know, a year later they're, you know, Selling the chapter the 11 and upside down, <laughs> divorced, now living in a one room apartment with three other guys and a platinum record on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Bankrupt. Like you had, all, like, dude, you could have, like, could have been smart. You know, we all blew money when we were young, but. Uh, they don't teach it's like same thing with sports people like you know you this kid a fucking 30 million dollar contract and he went from making no money at all to i mean everybody in the family gets a ferrari and yeah. you know buy grant you know and it's just they don't teach anybody it's like a lottery winner you win this money what do you do with it do you know how to save money do you have to pay taxes on this money do you have to what about your future have you thought about what if you break your leg or what you know what if you don't have another hit record what if you don't do you know what if you have kids? Dude, dude, what, if hit get, what if you get divorced and all that money goes away? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I know that twice, but uh, do hit records even make money anymore for the artists? Now, nothing like peanuts. Yeah, dust yeah. compared to what it used to make. Have you have, have you seen over the years just the the dwindling in royalties yes. and just how it's changed so much? Yes. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like five yes. years ago, it was. Well, put it this, this way. Let me give you a simple math program. Yeah. A problem. I mean, this will be interesting to those out there. This is a real, from my research, what I've been told, unless I missed the boat completely, a million streams, $6,000 gross. That's everybody. So if you're signed to a label, that means you'll get 15, 15 to 20% of that $6,000. 
Then within that, you have to pay for the songwriters and the publishers, any percentage participants, which could be management, lawyers, or whatever, and then you have to split it between the six people in your band, and you have to pay 50% taxes on that. So at a million plays or a million streams, you've made about $3 after taxes. Wow. Now, if you own the rights to everything, you're not signed to a label, you'll make $20. Right. On six, you know, I mean, if you if you have to split it between people, if you're a solo artist, okay, right. so you make a couple hundred bucks. It's not it's not a career. People that used to have a career as a songwriter, as a record producer, it's not a vocation anymore. Yeah, what? I mean, you know, there's very few. I mean, not everybody's Diane Warren or Desmond Child or something like that. But a lot of their money was made in the good old yeah, days. The good old days, yeah. You know what I mean? What? Why they? I don't understand why the people. The streaming companies are printing money, for yeah. God's sakes, and all the major labels bought in the back end, which is why funny shit goes down when trying to collect royalties. Uh, forensic accounting has a very different look than it did 20 years ago. There's a lot of ways to hide shit. Yeah. I can't prove nothing. I don't want to get sued for saying shit. But I've been through forensic accounting going like, we have a billion streams. Where's all the money, man? Yeah, right. Where's the money? Because I went and negotiated a new deal for us to get a better streaming rate. Not the fucking name. And we got it, but now trying to get the money. It's like they keep. Oh, it's not here. We paid it out, or next. Oh, we're a few, uh, a few uh, quarters behind, or whatever excuses they give you these days. But, and, you know. What's what's the, in other words? It's hard. Most of the money we make now, legit, is live. Yeah. Which is why I'm on the road all the time. Which yeah. is why it's a drag. You know, it's a catch twenty two. Yeah. I got a big nut, a lot of family, a lot of dependents, and you know, I love to play live. But you know, being away from my family 230 days a year to make the nut, you know, just to take care of everybody and think about my future as an old geezer, you know, when it's all said and done, and leave some money for my family when the dirt nap happens. Yeah, and uh, that's you know, I do. You know, I I, I live well, but I, I'm not. I don't believe in a grotesque show of wealth. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's hard to really make a lot of money in the music business now. Yeah. yeah. And if you do, how long do you get to make that? Yeah. How long are you in it for? My son's in it. And I go, dude, save your money. Yeah. It's my voice. Save your dough. Don't piss it away. If you get a break, save your money. Yeah. You know, invest in a home. Don't buy, you know... Don't go, ba- no, don't go Jed Clampett on everybody. <laughs> you know, get a reasonable home. If yeah. you can pay it off, do it. What was the most you know, successful song you've ever written, like, money-wise? What's, like, what's the one that just... Is there one well, that just stands out? Um, I won't hold you back. The Ballad on Toto 4, because it was been sampled. It was made into a hit record that somebody didn't get a license to, and I ended up getting all the money for that. Oh, awesome. And that was a big hit record. It's been recorded by a lot of people. Probably that one, yeah. most of all. But I've done well in a bunch of weird songs you wouldn't think that I've written, like Turn Your Love Around by George Benson. And stuff oh, like that. Okay. I won a Grammy for that one with Jay Grade. Did you write, yeah. you wrote that? Yeah. The, the piano fuck? like it shows all mine. Damn, man. That's awesome. Uh, no, but you know, being around, I got to do a lot of interesting things with different people and got opportunities to write with people that normally would because I was there already. Who's got tunes? You want to write a tune? With so, so tell me the truth. No one ever gave you the same shit about like, you know, but the butt love thing. Turn your love around. You know. Oh, I started. No, I started. No, wait a second. With Jay, 
you have to understand how this happened. I mean, I showed up. He <laughs> right, goes, right. I mean, goes, hey, man. Hey, man, I'm producing Benson's new record, man. We got to come up with the tune. Come on over. Champ will come over and write the words with this, man. Come on over later, man. So I go over to the house, you know, and I got this piano lick. That's what I brought yeah. into the room. Before I even got there, I said, I got always got to bring something to the party when you show up for a writing session, at least yeah. a couple of different ideas to throw on the table. Right. I had that. Jay goes, I love it, man. I love it. And I gotta take a shit. I'll be right back. <laughs> so I'm just f- fucking around with some other ideas, like kind of little B section ideas. Like I think my husband, I'm here talking to me through the door. <laughs> and he goes in there for a long period of time because to do what? I have no idea. <laughs> he came out. I got it, man. Turn your love around. And the joke started from oh, there. Good, good, good. I mean, <laughs> you can't just, say that to me and expect. I, I know, but you I mean, know. But here I am. We just. An hour ago, we're talking about butt love. You know what I mean? Well, I well, love it. That's there's never a bad time to talk about butt love. Yeah, you know, or turning your love around for that matter. How long is this fucking thing anyway? Uh, Who's gonna listen to this, man? This is what no, you we, guys. We chop it, it, it up and we put it out in episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you keep the good. So, bits. so we're good. gonna we're gonna keep you here as long as you're willing to stay. Well, man. I I do have to get moving here a little bit. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's three thirty. I got kids at school. Kids at uh, school. Yeah, I've got ants. I gotta go let them out. Oh man, that's funny. Did you work with Benson much? I'll let you. Do yeah, yeah. George, oh, I have a great George Benson story. When we cut the song "Turn Your Love Around," we were working out at Dawnbreaker Studios. Used to be Seals and Cross Place up by uh, down the Hollywood Freeways, you know, north. Yep. Um, and you know, like I said, I used to dress like a ratty fucker. You know, <laughs> ripped up jeans, Pendletons, and they're all disheveled. And I was excited. George Benson's going to know. I, I was into George before I knew he could sing. Yeah. I was a huge fan of his guitar, the CTI records. You know, the great, you know, the amazing George Benson, the jazz guitar player. Yeah. Then, you know, we heard he could sing, you know, uh, this masquerade shit. I was going, God, where this guy sings like a motherfucker. Yeah. We all love the record, love Tommy LaPuma and Al Schmidt and all the records. And then Jay was going to produce the record, coming off the Jero record he had uh-huh. done, Breaking Away, which we played on. Yeah. And, um, we came up with this this song, so so we're at there, and I get there early to look at the charts and make sure everything's cool. I like to get to the studio early anyway, and it was our song; it was important. I wanted to be there for Jay and helping. And he didn't need my help as a producer, but I mean, just be a bro. Yeah. How can I help? It's our song. It's great. I love the fact that George likes the song. We're gonna cut it. Champlin came up with some great lyrics. We all worked, finished it together. Did a great demo. Got Jeff Picard to program the drum machine and all this. Anyway, we were there anyway. George shows up. He doesn't know me from shit. And he's always dressed to the nines, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm sitting in the chair, like, you know, early, and, you know, I was there's was nobody else really there yet. Yeah. And he walks up to me, hands me his car keys, and goes, hey, man, get my suits out of the car, will you? <laughs> I'm going, this is fucking George Benson. I'm like, okay, I'll go get the fucking suit. <laughs> so I go get the suits out of his car. <laughs> As, and I bring him in, I put him in the thing, and I hand him back his keys, and I go back to sitting in the spot. Guitar. I'm fucking around looking, and Graydon comes in. He goes, hey, man, hey, George, man, Steve, look at the road, come with the song. He goes, oh, you're kidding me. He goes, the guy just got my suits out of the car. <laughs> and I go, hey, man, you're George Benson. He asked me to get your suits out of the car. Get your suits out of the car. <laughs> and we're buddies ever since. And, you know, I wrote a couple, three three other songs with, you know, for over the years. Yeah, but wow, the most man. successful one was Turn Your Love Around. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. I love your Elton John stories in the in the book too. That was Elton's great to me, man. 
Wow. I mean, he was never not great to me. I mean, I've heard that he, I, he could get moody sometimes. Uh, but he was great to me. Yeah. And, like, you know, awesome. I got to get him to, you know, play Levon for me, play this for me, and, like, get drunk and hang out with him. I was just 20 years, 20, 21 years old. And Man. we were at Super Bear Studios where they had just finished cutting the basic tracks to the wall. Wow. It was in uh, France. Yeah. It was great. What a great time that was. Favorite favorite part of the world? Favorite place you tour? Do you have a favorite? Oh, she put me on the hot seat now. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to be pissed off. Well, I didn't you know, you're them, used you know? to being a pinata. You can handle it. <laughs> no, yeah, right. Well, I am. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, you know, they're, they're all great for different reasons. Oh, you know? one, one of your favorite places you like, oh, I love I love here. Japan. I love yeah, Holland. I love, Japan, I love France. I love the UK. I mean, yeah. all of it. Germany. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I can't pick a favorite. All of Denmark yeah. and Scandinavia. How can you not love that? Yeah. I have favorite places everywhere. Yeah. Because I've been awesome. doing it so long. I've made friends and great food and things conjure up mem positive memories, you know. A yep. couple special friends here and there, you know. Oh, <laughs> turning your love around. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've, my dancing shoes are up on the wall. You know, I don't, I'm not really that guy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty tame, man. I go to bed early, get up early. Yeah. I, you know, I did it all. You don't. You, you know, I did cool every shit, stupid man. thing you can do, and I had a lot of great moments too. So I got nothing to bitch about. Yeah. Did you, you still hike? We still hike? Hike, yeah. It's harder for me now because my shoulders go yeah. like your body normally goes like this. Yeah. Well, after a while, that really hurts. Yeah, yeah. My doc says at my age, just keep walking. Yeah. You know, I'm, listen, I just, I get, I go every two months. My standing heart rate on EKG is 41. And wow. My, and my blood pressure is like 100 over 68. Great. Damn, dude. That's fantastic. I have RH blood, RH negative blood. I'm from another planet. Wow. Makes more sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> look at the way you look at me. Like, are you you you're eating like are you a do you have a crutch when it comes to food? Are you a big? Like, that's such an Aussie thing to say. Man. Is it? Uh, no. I mean, I try, I eat healthy food. Man. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You, I, you know, I don't eat. You know, occasionally I'll have a cheeseburger. Who doesn't love a cheeseburger? But I generally eat really a lot of Asian food. A lot of vegetables and i don't eat a whole lot of, I'm, I'm right now i'm on a no sugar jag yeah i do that sugar is such a, i mean it's a great sugar's thing. cocaine man that's fucking well it hits the same part of your brain as heroin does yeah. so that's why people get strung out on it yeah i mean if you think about all the vices there are it's all all of us trying to fill whatever hole there is you know some yeah. people it's with food some people it's sex some people it's gambling some people it's drugs alcohol anything to numb and take away whatever internal self-hatred we have for ourselves or yeah. bad childhood you know i used to hate it when uncle bob came downstairs when we were <laughs> I, was, I was like oh man this is it, a new you know and those, in and those funny smelling handkerchiefs he used to have <laughs> i'd wake up in the morning and somehow my ass was sore and i never understood why right i, I quit drink i quit drinking because it made my All ass I know sore is that, you know, <laughs> no, just, i am obviously joking <laughs> did you um uh uh, uh, what's a morning look like? Are you get up in the morning oh, kind of yeah. guy, grab your guitar and sit and have yeah, a coffee? Speaking of, I have a puppy loose in my house right now. Oh boy. I, have to get I fear the worst. And you probably will get some of your fears, but you know. You'll oh get no, it's it. okay, man. You know, my, you know, this is a classic story. My 11 year old daughter wants a dog. It's my dog now. Yeah. 
Yeah. And her mother's like, you know, we already have a cat and a snake, and I'm like, I told you. The dog goes, or the kids coming. Now I fall in love with this little fucker. You know, now it's all over. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of dog? Pug dogs, man. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. I'm a pug guy. I got a 15 year old pug who's blind and deaf. Oh, fuck. I'm mean, gonna really hate to have to when that goes down. Yeah. Another one, my my oldest son Trev. He you know he wanted a dog, and he moved out. And I said the dog stays. Right, dog's my dog now. Yeah, yeah. I commandeer all the dogs, and I pretend like I don't want one, but I really yeah. I do love them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm allergic to cats. So. Yeah.